Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to the latest edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. This time we are reviewing Series 1, Episode 17 of The Avengers, Death on the Slipway. This was written by James Mitchell. It was recorded on the 22nd of June 1961 for transmission two days later at 8.50pm in the ABC Midlands North Anglia ATV Southern Tynetees TV Western Wales Ulster Westwood and Scottish TV. Uh, there's no video version of this, although there is a recon on the DVD box set. There's no script or publicity stills, but there are 90 telesnaps and Big Finish have remade this as an audio version, adapted by Ian Potter on their Lost Episodes range, Volume 6. Ingrid Hafner, who plays Carol, doesn't appear in this one, even though there is a scene set in the surgery, and this is one of six without her in Series 1, the others being Hot Snow, Crescent Moon, Toy Trap, Far Distant Dead, and Dragonsfield. There are lots of synopses about this that have been written both online and in books over the years, and they all talk of a bomb being on a submarine in the end, but the telesnaps don't bear this out. Uh, they look nothing like that. It's more like the inside of a, a, a warehouse or something. Also running through this is a sort of precursor to Mother's odd office locations in Series 6. 110 is described in the scripts as usually on the phone, but always answering in different places. The phone is always somewhere different. Uh, this episode was broadcast slightly earlier at 8.50 and only Please Don't Feed the Animals and Brought to Book had earlier time slots at 8.35, I believe, in the regions. So, Dr. Exton, it's over to you for the pricey. Death on the Slipway, and uh, this pricey is taken from Dave Rogers' The Ultimate Avengers. Steed meets an old enemy, Kolchek, when he investigates a murder in a dockyard. The spy wants the plans for a new nuclear submarine. Knowing that Steed will attempt to prevent him, Kolchek blackmails Fleming, the foreman at the dockyard, into planting a time bomb in his briefcase and leaving it on board the submarine. Steed locates the bomb, throws it in the water to explode harmlessly and rounds up the villains. Secure? I hope so. Hoist her up, Jack. Everyone get to a higher level. What about Charles? I'm sorry, Liz. At that range, that shot will have been fatal. But we can't save him. Now, come on, we need to get away. Even going off in the water, that bomb will make a heck of a bang. Come on, my dear. Easy now, Jack. Swing her over. And hold. Now, instead of lowering, get back here for cover. Goodbye, Mr. Steen. Before we pick this apart, do we have any alumni? Well, I think before we get on to alumni, it's worth noting that the writer would go on to write and, and be the, the writing force behind Callan. So it's not a surprise that this is a fairly heavily Cold War spy drama. Yeah. So in terms of alumni, we have Tom Adams, who would go on to be Commander Vorschach in Warriors of the Deep. Peter Arne will turn up in three further Avengers episodes and Redmond Bailey will turn up in another two. 
Patrick Connor will appear in another Avengers episode and a new Avengers episode and also plays a policeman in two episodes of the television version of Quatermass in the Pit. Paul Dawkins will appear twice more in the Avengers. Hamilton Dice will be Major General Scobie in Spearhead from Space. Barry Keegan will appear in another Avengers. Douglas Muir is 110 in 11 episodes. So he's another regular. Nairi Dawn Porter will go on to have a fairly stellar career um, and will appear as one of the regulars in The Protectors and the Foresight Saga. Frank Thornton will go on to a starring role in Are You Being Served and was also in channeling William Hartnell in The Champions. Gary Watson will appear in three further Avengers episodes and played Arthur Terrell in Evil of the Daleks. Well, you mentioned Peter Arne there, and for mm. any fans of Doctor Who, he was actually the original casting choice for Mr. Range in the 1984 serial Frontios. At some point, he'd taken in a homeless man, one would assume as an act of charity, but he was bludgeoned to death by a chair leg at home while he was during rehearsals for Frontios. And it was plastered all over the Evening Standard hoardings. And Sandra Dickinson saw this. It says Doctor Who actor killed. And she thought it was her husband, who at the time was Peter Davison. But that's on one of the... Uh, I remember seeing that in an interview on one of the DVDs, which is something that you never watch. I'm not particularly interested in making ofs in the same way as I'm not particularly interested in getting autographs. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that, yeah. Because... Even though I know how things are done, I don't want to know how things are done when I'm watching it. I want I want that suspension of disbelief. And if I uh, if I watch an hour's worth of this is how we did this specific special effect, does it kill the magic? Um, it it puts a damper on the magic. Well, getting us back to Death on the Slipway, I quite enjoyed this one. And with you having said that about the writers going on to Callan. I can now see where the roots of that were. It's very much a sort of spy espionage thing, diffusing a bomb threat. I mean, if the big finish is anything to go by, there's no script for this one, so there's a bit of artistic license taken. But the basic premise of the thing, it's not bad. I enjoyed this. Yes, it was a very active and busy episode. I mean, Steed's very much the man of action in this. Uh, very typical sort of rocking up, pretending to be somebody else, eventually getting found out and then becoming the the hero of the hour and I'll take charge, I'll rescue you all. And then, boom, big explosion in the end. It's everything, really, that you want from an hour of, well, television at the time and certainly audio. Yeah, I mean, Steed getting found out, fair enough. The bloke in charge of the Admiralty, so Mr. Bigwig, not knowing that there's somebody investigating one of his bases, that really didn't make sense. It, I, mm. I, I find it difficult to believe that Steed works for such a secret organisation that the, the Lord of the Admiralty doesn't know that one of his bases is being investigated. So that particular little bit of it didn't work for me. It was a very busy story with a lot of characters. Well... Well, well, well. Now, I am on record at this point for saying that I despise doubling up in any productions, be that audio or theatre or anything like that. John Coulshaw's in this. John Coulshaw is one of the best vocal talents we've got in the country at the minute. But he plays four characters in this. 
and frequently those characters are in subsequent scenes. Now, with the best will in the world, John Coleshaw now has one of those very recognisable voices. And as I've said before, there's only so much you can do to disguise your own voice, no matter how talented you are. It doesn't work. I hated this. I can see that they were keen to capitalise on the kudos of, of getting John Coleshaw to do one of these, so they made the most use of him. But it's so obvious that John Coleshaw's playing all those different parts. I hated that. I mean, I, I hadn't specifically twigged that it was one person playing a number of different parts. What I did think was that it was quite confusing who was what and who was talking to who. Yeah. Because a lot of them did sound very similar. That'll be the reason why. Yeah. Uh, because he did sound similar. Um, when he does his impressions... They're generally speaking very good impressions, and he could have two different impressions in one sketch talking to each other, and you wouldn't know. And he's done that an awful lot in things like Dead Ringers, where he's been bouncing off himself as two, sometimes three different characters in one sketch. That works. When you're trying to put on four different voices that aren't impressions between scenes... And basically, they're just different nuances of your own voice. It's not going to work. Uh, the other thing is that the guy playing Kolchek actually reminded me of John Moffat's Poirot. Yes, I see what you mean. A bit more brutal in characterisation, but yeah. <laughs> just just going back to the, the the point that I made about it actually being quite difficult to to distinguish which character was which. In the final confrontation with the bomb, it was actually very difficult to work out who was involved in doing what um, and who ended up dying at the end. And there's, there's a very final bit where they, they talk about two people dying. And I was thinking, well, who the hell's the second one? There's Fleming who sacrificed himself, but who was the second death? Because it wasn't Kolchak. He was ta taken away at the end, wasn't he? I'm kind of glad that you said that because I felt a bit dim because that's exactly what I thought. Oh, I, I listened to that uh, that final sequence about three times trying to work out who it was who was the second death. Yeah. As I said, this is an original Big Finish script that they've... I assume that they've written afresh around the vague synopsis and telesnaps and what have you. And when they do this and they try to piece together something that doesn't really exist from something that did exist, as we're, I suspect we're going to find when we get to Tunnel of Fear, I imagine the audio version is completely different to the TV version. I honestly can't remember because I deliberately haven't re-listened to, to these audios in a long time because I knew we were going to be doing this. Tunnel of Fear, the episode, I've only seen once because I didn't think it was a particularly good episode. My recollection of the audio was that it wasn't a particularly good episode, but that's probably not Big Finish's fault. Well, again, and, I think Tunnel of Fear is one with no script, so they'll have written that themselves. Yeah, and we'll come on to this when we when we do Tunnel of Fear, but yeah. I don't think it would be fair to blame Big Finish for not having predicted exactly what the episode was from a, a small bit of uh, information that, that they had. Getting back to Death on the Slipway, for any flaws that we're highlighting here... I did enjoy this. Now, this this was an hour of basically runaround espionage, hmm. and it ticked every box that I wanted from this sort of program, from this sort of era. It's not perfect, but it was entertaining, and it had me gripped for the best part of an hour. It kind of felt like a slightly earlier era to me, to me a, a very sort of 
1950s Mask of Janus kind of story. It was it was that kind of immediately post-war story. Agreed. That, it was certainly one in black and white. Yeah. Steed, again, terrible undercover agent. His cover is blown <laughs> in, about, in about three seconds flat by Liz. I'm getting the impression that Steed actually can't be arsed going undercover. So he concocts, or he either concocts or makes so little effort trying to maintain the cover because it's just easier being John Steed. Yeah, it's sort of, what the fuck, can't be asked. Um, I will just turn up as me with a different name and I think from the telly snaps, a pair of glasses. Oh, yes. Oh, no, isn't that um, because he's got glasses in the yellow needle? Mm. But either way, he is. You're quite right. He's a crap undercover agent with his bowler hat and umbrella in every fucking scene. And the character of Liz starts off really intelligent and independent. She works out what, what's going on with Steed and she challenges him about it. And then as soon as that's happened and she's on board, she translates into a messenger and a hostage with no real independence or agency. Or it, It's a, almost as though she's there to be independent until she is working for Steed and then it's pretty female victim again. A fair fair point, but we must point out at this point, we're listening to something that's 60 years in the past. and uh, Oh, attitudes absolutely. But in the, the episode before, we had Jaquetta, who was much... Okay, ultimately, she turned out to be a victim as well, but she was much more independent and, and capable and standing up for herself right the way through to the final denouement. We've had Stella in um, Hunt the Man Down, who was the the brains of the, um, of the gang and the one who had the backbone and was telling the blokes to get your finger out and go and get on with this. So we've had strong independent women before, and I was expecting Liz to turn out to be one of these. The jarring thing of this is just how quickly Liz goes from one to the other. I can't say that I'd noticed. Um, I should be looking out for this, really, but I was swept along by this story. I Oh, it crackles along. It, oh, yeah. It, it's possibly the fastest-moving one that we've had yet. I just thought that the end of it was very... And I keep harking back to it, even though by this point, I think they don't, uh, there'd not been an MGM James Bond yet. But this is... It's very much that mould in some of these. It's That's certainly the feel that they're aiming for. With that, with a kind of gritty edge, which is more Callan than James Bond. You see, you're for, you're more familiar with Callan than I am. I love Callan. Yeah, I absolutely we, we love Callan. Come on to that. What I, I have to give a shout out is to the big finish Callans. I was initially a bit shocked by, by their Cast. choice of actor. He does a brilliant job. They are really, really good and entertaining. They are sat and here it, waiting on my shelf to listen to, but I've not got around right, to it yet. Don't, don't listen to them until you've watched the uh, the series. Okay, right. Yeah. And again, you have the problem with Nick Briggs wanting to play a role. So, so he plays one of the three regulars and he is absolutely blown out of the water by the other two actors. Anyway, we're not talking about Callan. Um, we're, we're talking about death on the death on the slipway. One thing that really set it in place was when they were talking about Fleming. There was a very very blasé description uh, discussion of the death penalty, and it's oh yes, I know I know that this means that I will be hanged and and whatever. And it that really set it in its time in the same way as oh well, it's a safe trip over to Belfast. Yes, set, set it in its time in the Radioactive Man. 
Belfast is the place where you won't get search going onto a plane. And it's like, Jesus, 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, quite different. So but I really do like all those little touches that Big Finish oh, have yes, they, Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And that one was obviously a deliberate touch because... There's no script. That won't have been part of the original script. So I, I think that was brilliantly done. Comment about the sound design, and as ever, Big Finish's sound design was great. Mm. But the way they set something as being in an office was having the sound of a typewriter in the background, which worked very well until the point where you have Liz and Kolchek in an office in their own doing their dramatic kidnapper and victim bit with the noise of a typewriter in the background. Now, who's doing that <laughs> typing? Because was Liz knocking off a few final memos while she was being threatened? Or was was Kolchak doing his threatening notes in triplicate so that he could send them back to to Moscow HQ? <laughs> it just that just really didn't work and, and really stood out. I'd not noticed that, although you're not gonna ruin that scene when I next listen to it. Just all the stuff on the dockyard though. And it's uh, I don't know oh, how it, it was. It sounded in your head. wonderful. I was going to say it sounded very expansive. This massive sort of shipping port, which almost certainly wouldn't have been the case in 1961. But the scope of these things on audio, like I said, whatever failings we've leveled at them, the scope on audio really works. And the bomb at the end, you know, that that could be enormous. Clearly, wouldn't have been. In 1961, I, I w- I'd be interested to see how they realised it, but I suspect it was nothing like how they did it in the audio. The audio version disposed of the bomb on a crane into the middle of the harbour. I don't think that was... Th- I think the denouement in 1961 involved Steed lobbing it over a, a gantry or something. Yeah, and again, it was one I got to the end of it and just thought, I really wish this existed so I could see the proper version. I wish you'd stop calling it that. It's so disrespectful. But I know what you mean, but do you mean the original? I don't, actually. I mean the proper version. Um, so my final note really encompasses this episode and the last episode. Steed is the absolute last person who should be allowed to own a dog because all he does is palm <laughs> the poor thing off onto other people. And particularly a Great Dane, the biggest dog in the world. Should we rate this in Masterminds? Watch out for diabolical masterminds. Go on, I'll let you go first this time. What do you think? Oh, four. Absolutely. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's a four from me as well. For all there are very minor niggles I've come out with, they're very minor niggles. I was completely entertained by this to the the point where I got to the end of it and listened to it all over again, mainly because I wanted to see if I'd missed something in that final sequence to work out who was who. Uh, I've only managed to listen to it the once. There's an awful lot going on at the moment, but I was just carried along by this from beginning to end. There's no particular flaw that's knocking it down from a five to a four. It was just very, very good rather than pow, outstanding. But as I've said... As the series has gone on, they've reached a plateau of really good stuff. I think the last one that I I, I really didn't enjoy was the Springers, which I just Um, found a little bit dull. But the rest of them, from pretty much the Radioactive Man onwards, I've been gripped by. I have to be honest, the only one that I thought was actually actively bad is Ashes of Roses. 
Oh, uh, yeah, that w- yeah, that was a bit odd, the one in the hairdressing salon. Mm. Um, and I think the problem is that of the entire season, that's Carol's episode, and she's not given any support, and she's not an investigator. Yeah. But we, again, we're not talking about Ashes of Roses. I really enjoyed Death on the Slipway. It bones. I mean, we've only got... We've got another eight or nine episodes left in the series. And now that it's got into its stride... And a particular, I must, I've got to admit that much as I like Dr. Keel as a character, Steed is the one. Even though he's and not the, played by Patrick McNee in these audios, the guy they've got, whose name I can't remember, I've got Anthony Howell. Julian Wadham. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Anthony Howell plays uh, uh, Dr. Keel. They are beautifully cast. Now, at the beginning, to me, I, I still think in the early days they, they've got quite a similar sounding voice. As you get familiar with the characters, it's easier to discern between them. But his version of Steed, it's a bloody good one. Yes, I agree. And I don't actually have a problem that he's played by somebody else in the same way as I don't have a problem that the the first Doctor in The Five Doctors was played by um, another actor. And I don't have a problem that in... Twice Upon a Time, the first Doctor was played by an, another actor. None of these are things that, that worry me, because you have to be practical about the fact that the original actors are not available and probably wouldn't sound the way that they sounded, what, with this 60 years ago? Mm. 50 years ago at the time that it was At the time, yeah, 50, 50 um, yeah. So, and at the end of the day, it is a TV entertainment. It's not something that we should be slavishly devoted to and... I appreciate that's a kind of heresy to a Doctor Who fan, but it is what it is. But yes, overall, this was an interesting, good listen, and just another one to recommend. Again, for all the flaws that we point out with the Big Finish stuff, I heartily recommend these as a series. I think that Doctor Who's always going to be my first love, certainly where Big Finish are concerned, but the Avengers stuff... For all the other really good series they've made. And Star Cops is one that I think is brilliant. Oh, that's great. Yeah, fantastic. But this is my second place. It's been consistently good, even when the scripts and the stories haven't been that brilliant. Big Finish have made a good fist of it. And it's definitely true with this one. On that note, I shall sign us off. We shall be back in the next edition when we're covering Double Danger. Until then, thank you for staying the course with us. We'll be back next time. Bye now. They'll be back. You can depend on it. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. With thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the program was produced by Maverick Productions. Come and get those kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.